and amen. And that is so, so good. It is so, so true that when we surrender our lives completely to the Lord Jesus Christ, it is there that we find freedom. Freedom from sins, freedom from bondage, freedom from the penalty of hell. And the beauty of the gospel is that when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, it is then that he sets us free. Good news for those who follow Jesus Christ. You know, the pursuit of wealth ultimately leads to unhappiness. Over the last 150 years, some of the richest people in the world have found themselves tremendously unhappy despite their substantial wealth. John D. Rockefeller said this, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. William Vanderbilt said, the care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. After making his millions, Henry Ford said, I was happier when doing a mechanic's job. One of the wealthiest men of all time, who in his day was worth at a market value of today's money of $2 billion, John Jacob Astor said this, I am the most miserable man on earth. Andrew Carnegie said, millionaires seldom smile. You see, the world says money will make you happy and so get as much as you can. God's word says, whoever trusts in his riches will fall. You see, wealth does not bring happiness. Now, many of you have spent time in third world countries in which you have been ministering the gospel to those who have next to nothing. And you've gone into their homes in which it is mud and huts and they have no food or clothing and yet they have Jesus and their joy is to the full. I've had opportunities to go into the darkest slums of Kenya I've walked the dusty pathways of Belize. I've had the opportunity to go into people's huts in Swaziland. And what I have found is kids who have nothing but Jesus are far more satisfied and far more full of joy than those who are here who have all that this world could ever allow them to have. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? You would think that if you could have anything, you would be happy. You see, our culture, we have it so backwards. For, for, we are some of the wealthiest people in history, and yet we're so unhappy. Whatever we have, it's never enough. We've become like the man who owns a yacht, and he wants another one. We've, we've become like the woman who has her coach bag, but she wants three more. We've become like the, the CEO who owns an island, and he's not content, so he goes after another. We have become the fan with eight national championships, and we want number nine. That one's for me, by the way. <laughs> you see, the human heart is never satisfied in the things of this world. It's as if we were made for another world, which we are. You see, God knows us better than we know ourselves. 
And so he graciously points you and I away from ourselves and he points us towards himself who alone is able to satisfy and he alone is the one who is better than wealth. That is what King Solomon is driving home in Proverbs 22. Let me show you. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs 22. We're going through a sermon series as a faith family called Walk in Wisdom. We're walking through the book of Proverbs together as a faith family and learning about how we can have practical insight from God's word and we can apply it into our everyday lives. Now, as you're turning to Proverbs 22, I want to give parents in here a heads up. The next two weeks, we're going to be talking about physical intimacy within the context of marriage. And some of your children may or may not be ready to hear some of the content from God's word. And I hope you know me as your pastor, uh, as one who will one day give an account before the Lord. I take preaching very seriously and making sure I'm faithful to God's word. But there may be some things we're going to talk about in the next two weeks, starting next week, that your child may not be ready for. And so I just want to let, give you a heads up. You can make the call. It's entirely your decision. Uh, but Rick Callahan and our uh, family's ministries, they're going to be prepared to receive your child and to um, invest in them. But I just want to give you a heads up. The next couple of weeks is we're going to be studying God's word, particularly in Proverbs chapters 5, 6, and 7. We're going to be talking about some content within the context of marriage, of God's design, and just wanted to kind of give you a heads up on that. You see, Proverbs has so much to say about our everyday lives. The text addresses themes like time, friendships, marriage, parenting, food, words, wisdom versus folly, work ethic, and so much more. And what's interesting is how often money is referenced in the book of Proverbs. There are more than 100 verses in Proverbs that address some aspect of money, whether it's stewardship and investments, debt and lending, the rich and the poor, wealth accumulation, giving, provision, greed, hard work, and wealth and wisdom. You see, God cares about how you spend your money, and God desires for you to walk in wisdom so that you are dependent upon him for how you live. That's his desire. That's his heartbeat, is that in every area of, in, of your life, especially in your finances, you are trusting him. You are dependent upon him for how you are to live. And so in his word, he guides you and I on how to be faithful stewards of the resources he has entrusted to us. Now, before we get into the text, it is essential that you grab hold of this foundational truth. God is the owner of all things, and we are the managers. God is the, is the owner of all things, and we're the managers. We are the stewards. Psalm 50, verse 12, the Lord says, for the world and everything in it is mine. Indeed, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Every dollar, pound, euro, yen, and peso belongs to him. And however much money that comes into your pocket throughout your lifetime ultimately comes from him. And he has entrusted to you these resources for you to manage. So the question that you and I must answer is this. How can I be a faithful manager of God's money? I want you to see in the text first, we must choose the character of Christ first. Choose the character of Christ first. Look at verse one. 
Solomon writes, a good name is to be chosen over great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. That phrase, a good name, verse one, it's a reference to one's reputation. When someone has integrity, they have a good name. You see, a good reputation is the fruit of Christ-like character. And what Solomon is driving home here is that being a man of character, being a woman of character has greater value than any financial windfall. Solomon says that character is to be chosen over great riches. Why? Well, one of the reasons is that wealth is fleeting. In Proverbs 23, Solomon says, don't wear yourself out to get rich because you know better. Stop. As soon as your eyes fly to it, it disappears for it makes wings for itself and flies like an eagle to the sky. You see, choosing great wealth over your character in Christ, it reveals a covetous heart that desires money more than wisdom. You see, the wealthy man, the wealthy woman who loves money more than Jesus is a fool. And so we follow Jesus who tells us, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but rather store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, your bank statement reveals your heart. Every month when you go to the mailbox and look at your statement, Every time you open up the app on your phone that shows you where you have spent your money, every time you review the ledger on your checkbook, does anybody use checkbooks anymore? Is that just me? Okay. Your love is on full display. You see what you love based upon where your money goes. And Solomon is saying, choose a good name over riches. Choose the character of Christ. For if you choose wealth, your heart will be led away from Jesus. Can I show you what this looks like? Keep your finger in Proverbs 22 and turn with me to 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul is addressing his young protege in the ministry, Timothy. And he's warning them of false teachers who are creeping into the church, who are teaching false doctrine, and they are money hungry. And here, Paul is coaching Timothy up on the danger of greed. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, Paul says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Boy, that's a good word to put on your checkbook. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You see, if you choose wealth over Christ, it will lead you to destruction. 
And God knows that. And so in Proverbs 22, God is calling his people to choose a good name over wealth. But also, I want you to see, verse 1, that favor is better than silver and gold. You see, favor not only points to the respect of people, okay, which comes from a good name, verse 1, but favor also points to the grace of God on your life. Now, who does not want God's favor upon their life? Well, God offers his favor to anyone who turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus by faith. You see, God sent his one and only favored son and sent him to die on the cross for all of our covetousness, all of our idolatry, all of our money-hungry desires within our hearts, and he paid our debt in full. Jesus died for your sins, and he was buried in accordance with the scriptures. And on the third day, he got up out that grave, and he is alive today. And you see, those who trust in Jesus by faith, it is then that you find favor with God, which verse one is better than silver and gold. In 1888, Prince Oscar of Sweden had to make a choice. If he married a commoner, he would have to abdicate the throne. Now, this was not just any commoner whom he loved. This woman had impacted him for Jesus. And so he made his choice. He gave up his royal title he gave up the throne to become king and he married this woman whom he loved and who had pointed him to the gospel. Prince Oscar would later pen these words that became a hymn. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast dominion or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather be faithful, excuse me, I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. You see, when you believe the gospel, it is then that you find favor with God. And when you find favor with God by the power of the Holy Spirit, he begins to change your heart. He begins to change your desires. Your character begins to be transformed by the gospel. And he begins to conform you into the image of his son, Jesus. Romans eight twenty nine. For those whom God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. It is God's mission to conform you and to conform me into the image of Jesus, to make us just like him and to take on the character of Christ. And so when you follow hard after Jesus, you no longer yearn for silver or gold or a robust 401k. You want to become like Jesus. I want you to see secondly, Becoming a faithful manager of God's money means that you must be humble before the Lord. You must be humble before the Lord. Look at verse two. Solomon writes, rich and poor have this in common. The Lord makes them all. 
In verse two, Solomon is humbling the rich. He's exalting the poor. Okay, what we see here in God's word is that God is leveling the playing field in his kingdom. The Lord is the maker of the rich and the poor. From God's eyes, there are no second-class citizens within his kingdom. There is no caste system within the kingdom of Christ. There are no tiers of favoritism, rich and poor, black and white, Republican and Democrat. The Lord is the maker of them all. And see, for believers, for us, there is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ obliterates class distinctions, particularly, verse 2, between those who are rich and those who are poor. Job 34, verse 19 says, God is not partial to princes and does not favor the rich over the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. No matter if you're broke or affluent, if you're in debt or financially secure, if you're on food stamps or eating caviar, God is the one who made you. You are not the creator. You were created. Knowing Ultimately, that you are utterly dependent upon God for life and breath and for income, it leads you and I to be completely humble before the Lord. Now, this, this humility before the Lord, this can be very difficult for the wealthy, which, by the way, that's everyone in this room. Pew Research recently revealed that seven out of 10 people in the world, seven out of 10 people in the world live on less than $10 per day. Over a billion people in the world live on less than $2 a day. You see, our problem is that we play the comparison game. We compare what we have with someone else. He has a bigger truck. She has nicer clothes. They have a nicer house. She has the newest technology. And see, all of this comparison, it then leads you and I to two different emotions, shame or jealousy. You see, these two emotions come from a heart that is not resting in Christ. You see, when you play the comparison game, you will always lose because the trophy is pride. You become prideful because you think you're better than someone else, or you become prideful because you think you're inferior to someone else. You see, you've got to be willing to fight against this desire to compare yourself with others around you. So how do you fight the temptation to play the comparison game? Let me give you two C words to help you fight. Celebration and contentment. Celebration and contentment. Learn to celebrate the successes of others. When others get something you don't have, celebrate with them, rejoice with them, be happy for them. So you celebrate when someone else gets the promotion and you don't. You celebrate when someone gets something that you don't have. That leads to a thankful heart. But the second C is contentment. It's learning to be content with who Christ is in your life and being content with what God has provided for you. You're content with all that you have in Jesus. When my kids complain, 
Sometimes they'll say, I'm the only one who doesn't have a cell phone. Everyone else gets to fill in the blank. And Christy and I, we seek to gently remind them, you have life and you have breath and you have food in your pantry and you have a family that loves you and you have an education and you have a healthy church that you get to be a part of and more than anything you have a savior who bled and died for you you see we must learn to celebrate the successes of others and then be content with what god has provided for us so check your heart you see if you can't learn to celebrate other people's wins and if you can't find contentment in Christ, then your heart, it's always gonna be restless. You're always gonna be full of pride, which sometimes looks like shame and sometimes looks like jealousy. You see, your heart needs a fresh understanding of verse four. Humility, the fear of the Lord, results in wealth, honor, and life. You see, humility and the fear of the Lord, they're two sides of the same coin. One side is a right view of yourself in light of the other side of the coin, which is a right view of God. You see, when you humble yourself before the Lord, the rewards are spiritual riches, divine honor, and abundant life. You see, faithfulness begins not in the pursuit of money, but being humble before the Lord. You see, God is far more interested in who you are than how much money you make. He's after your heart. He's after your character. He wants to conform you into the image of his son, Jesus. And see, Proverbs is teaching us that God is far more interested in teaching us how to be godly than how to be wealthy. Now, how you manage God's money, listen to me, it is spiritual before it's financial. Your bank statement is not about numbers, it's about your hearts. And being a faithful manager of God's money is far more about who you are than how much money you make. And yet, God's word still does provide us practical wisdom on how we can be faithful with our resources. So we're gonna wrap up. I'm gonna put, I put this in your notes Six marks of faithful financial stewardship. Okay, these are six things you can become practicing in your everyday life to help you be faithful with the resources God has entrusted to you. Number one is this, contentment. Contentment. Proverbs chapter 30 says, Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of my God. You see, the aim is not to be so wealthy that you forget the Lord and say, who is the Lord? You become self-sufficient, you're independent, you don't need to pray hard because you've got it all that you need. But the opposite is also dangerous in which you're so poor that you steal and you sin against God. You see, being content with who you are in Christ and what God has provided for you, it liberates you to love your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself more faithfully. So contentment. Number two, avoid debt. Avoid debt. 
Proverbs 22, seven says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. In Israel, uh, debtors could find themselves enslaved if they did not pay back what they borrowed. Like in 2 Kings 4, a woman's husband died and she told the prophet Elisha that she was afraid because the creditor was coming to take her two children away as slaves. You see, debt is a form of bondage. It is financial slavery. It limits a man's ability to take advantage of opportunities. Now, church family, I need, to, I need to lay this out there for us. Because of our debt as a church, there are gospel opportunities that we miss. And, I, and, I, and it breaks my heart, but there are opportunities in which we can be a part of a movement of God and we can financially invest in things that God is doing both here and around the world, and yet we can't because of our financial debt. So what's the answer? Do we stop paying the debt and just give all to missions and ministry and advancement of the gospel? Well, then we can't be good stewards and pay our mortgage. Well, then do we stop doing ministry and missions and just focus everything on debt? Well, then we're no longer fulfilling the mission of the church. So the answer is both. This year as a church, I challenged us to go for four. It's crazy. It's like a, this is a goal that only God can do. But if we give $4 million this year, that's over $800,000 over our budget that allows us to give every dollar over budget onto principal. We'll retire over a million dollars in debt in one year just by everybody being faithful. And it's gonna take all of us together chopping away at this thing. And thank you so much for your faithfulness and we're doing it together. But you see, when you're in debt, it really handcuffs you from being op seizing opportunities to go and do new things for the sake of the gospel. Maybe you and your family, you're currently struggling with debt. Let me give you some quick tips of how to get a debt. Can I do that? Just four quick things. Number one, budget every dollar. Budget every dollar. Give every dollar that comes into your hands, give it a name. Own it. Manage it. Exercise dominion over it. You tell your money what to do, not the other way around. Okay, so budget every dollar. Secondly, spend below your income. Spend below your income. It is foolish to spend more than you have. You get in trouble. So spend below your income. Second, uh, thirdly, sell things you don't need. Sell things you don't need. That car, that truck that you just can't afford, sell it and get something cheaper. Something with four tires and a radio can get you where you need to go. Maybe your house payment is just a little bit too high and you just can't make everything happen. Sell your house and find something far more affordable. Declutter your home. Have a yard sale. Make the kids think, oh my goodness, I hope they're not selling me next, okay? So budget every dollar. Spend below your income. Sell things you don't need. And fourthly, pay off small debts first. Pay off small debts first. They're going to keep paying off any debts that you have, but get a piece of paper, list all of your debts, smallest to largest, and start at the top, and you attack that debt, that first one at the top, the smallest one. And you take the money, once that is paid off, 
You take all of that money and you carry it down and you attack the next one. So now you're not only paying off what you're paying every month, but you're now taking what you have just paid off and putting it towards the next one. That's how we attack it. Here's the attitude you've got to have. In Proverbs 6, 5, Solomon says, escape like a gazelle from a hunter, like a bird from a hunter's trap. You see, just as a gazelle sprints away from a hunter, so too must we sprint away from any debt. I want you to see number three, that we are to earn honestly. Earn honestly. Proverbs 13, 11 says, dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. See, dishonest money, including swindling people from money, conning people into get-rich-quick schemes, playing the lottery, stealing from the poor or from widows, charging exorbitant interest rates on loans. These are all forms of dishonest money, verse 11. May it not be so among you. May we not be those who use different games to try and take money from other people. May we follow the biblical principle of earning honestly. Number four, save patiently. Save patiently. Describing the godly woman in Proverbs 31, it says that she evaluates a field and buys it. She plants a vineyard with her earnings. So this is a woman who is accumulating wealth Little by little, she's plodding along through hard work. She's going to gain future opportunities. So you save patiently. Number five, give generously. Give generously. And Proverbs 22, 9 says, A generous person will be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. You see, when you give to the poor, the need is met. You get blessed. God gets the glory. This is one of my favorite parts of all six of these. When you just start being generous with your money, it is fun. I mean, you get to see God work through your resources. People get blessed. The gospel goes forth. God gets glory. It's being generous with your resources. Six and finally, honor the Lord. Honor the Lord. Proverbs 3 says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. You see, you get to worship the Lord by how you manage your money. Again, your worship is not constrained to this room on Sunday mornings. Your worship overflows on how you use the resources that God has entrusted to you. And so you and I, we honor God with our money, and indeed, God will honor us. You see, there isn't one person who has handled money perfectly. There's not anyone in this room who can raise their hand and say, I've never coveted someone else's possessions I've always spent every dollar with wisdom. No one here can say that. This is why we need the gospel. This is why we need the good news of Christ crucified. Because through his death, he not only saves us from our sin, he rescues us from our financial foolishness, and yet he also, through his cross, makes us wise with our finances. 
You see, you can become a faithful manager of God's money through following the wisdom of God, Jesus Christ. But you see, ultimately, money's not going to make you happy. You were not made to find your happiness by what's in your wallet. You were made to find happiness in God. And he has made a way for you to find ultimate joy and happiness. And it's found in his son, Jesus Christ. 